My first class in seminary was completely unexpected. First-year students filed into New Testament class ready to meet our esteemed professor with a doctorate and many years of teaching and pastoral ministry under his belt. Instead of our professor in his academic sweater, we met a man dressed as a first-century servant who was prepared to wash our feet as a welcome into the classroom. Many of the students were shocked and uncomfortable because we recognized the man as the professor. It was was a surprising thing to have your esteemed professor welcome you with a basin and towel. His humility on the first day extended throughout the semester as he shared the belief that he had as much to learn from us as we had to learn from him. You may think that someone with such humility as a professor would command no authority or respect from his students, but it was quite the opposite. This professor modeled a new way of teaching that I had not experienced, a genuine openness to the knowledge that his students brought with them, and a genuine humility about the knowledge he'd gained from years of academia. And he was a deeply revered and respected professor. In our scripture this evening, we find ourselves sitting in a synagogue with Jesus as the teacher, as the rabbi. Jerusalem was the true place of worship for Jews, but was too far for many Jews to travel to regularly. And synagogues emerged as places for worship and for teaching. On the Sabbath, people would gather for teaching, interpretation of the law and scripture and worship together. Synagogues didn't have permanent teachers, and the synagogue leader would invite other leaders to come and speak on the Sabbath. Jesus did this often as he traveled through towns, so it's not remarkable that he's found himself in front of the synagogue on this Sabbath day teaching, but what is unique is the content of and the way he is teaching. Scribes and interpreters of the law would often teach by saying, this has been said by rabbi so-and-so, and a teacher's authority came from their ability to name the various teachings of scripture and interpretations of the law from different rabbis. However, Jesus didn't teach this way. And Matthew will hear him teach by saying, you have heard it said. And instead of saying, by so-and-so, he'll say, but I say to you. Jesus doesn't rest his teaching and interpretation of scripture on any other authority but himself. He doesn't quote other interpretations of the law, but shares his teaching as law. This style of teaching emerges as a threat to the scribes and Pharisees throughout Jesus' ministry as he shares authoritative teachings on scripture that differ from their own. And they are so threatened by him that theologian Ched Myers interprets the voice of the unclean spirit that we heard, which exclaims, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? He interprets that as the voice of the scribes and the Pharisees. They are perhaps grumbling and worried about Jesus' ministry, destroying the very authority that they stand on. His teaching is not well received by all. And it's this interpretation that I want to lean into this evening. The scribes and the Pharisees sense the destruction of their authority, their way of life through the authoritative way that Jesus teaches and heals. They feel threatened by his leadership, and that threat leads them on a path towards violence and Jesus' destruction. Try as they might, they will seek to extinguish the one who has come for the lost and the least in every form they take. As I think about a group of people feeling threatened, feeling threatened by goodness, by truth, I think about folks who are still holding tightly to the tenets of whiteness, 
or the power that that affords, or men feeling threatened by women, or those still holding onto slaveholder religion, feeling threatened by abolitionist spirituality. Willie Duane Francois III penned a really incredible article in the Christian Century this month titled Abolitionist Spirituality, which explores that justice, racial or otherwise, is not a feeling, but a doing. Justice is where the spiritual and the political rendezvous. It benefits places of power to divorce political advocacy and action from spirituality. Marrying the spiritual and the political threatens places of power with a deep-rooted, powerful moral authority. Jesus' moral authority challenges the status quo and threatens the Pharisees' and Sadducees' place of power. And Jesus' power continues to feel like a threat to seats of power today. As slavery was abolished, slave owners shouted, Have you come to destroy us? During the civil rights era, comfortable white Christians asked, Have you come to destroy us? As the monuments came down in Richmond and around the country, white folks who revere white racist heroes shouted, Have you come to destroy us? As children are taught history, history, white parents and politicians proclaim, Have you come to destroy us? Only when we are deeply misguided by the mythos of America, blinded by whiteness, would we mistake healing, transformation, truth-telling, equality for our own destruction. It's what Willie James Jennings calls a disease social imagination. If only we join Jesus in imagining a new way. If only we cast, a, cast aside a devotion to whiteness, Could we join in the healing work that our brown brothers and sisters have been leading and advocating for centuries? Jesus' power in the world does look destructive to some. It's a threat to those in power and a challenge to their authority. But Jesus has not come to destroy people outright. He comes to trample ideologies that are demonic and oppressive. He has come to show a way to healing and wholeness for all of humanity and wants each person to be a part of it. It may lead to a role reversal and the, res- the surrendering of stolen power, but it invites a participation and inclusion of everyone. Jesus' invitation is always, always open. Even as the Pharisees and scribes might be projecting, have you come to destroy us? The invitation remains open for transformation, for healing for all. We pray weekly here at Richmond Hill for those abused and abusers, for those in jail and jailers, for victims of violent crime and perpetrators of violent crime. As followers of Jesus, we're bent on the transformation of the whole system. We seek the transformation of those who feel threatened, of those who ask because they fear the change. Have you come to destroy us? No, brother, no, sister, we are seeking your transformation too. Won't you join us? Francois argues that we must construct a new social order anchored in human dignity, equality, and sustainability. We must practice an abolitionist spirituality through behaviors that feed countercultural truths and unselfish interactions with those perceived as disposable. Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected, but he will become the cornerstone of a brand new world. He's going to tear it all down, but he's going to build something better, something whole in its place. 
What a blessing if we're aware and committed to the work of the world's healing. He has come to turn the world upside down, or maybe really he's turning it right side up. Like my esteemed professor bending down to wash his students' feet on the first day of class, the power that Jesus holds is authoritative because it subverts the powers that be, because it challenges the status quo and suggests a third way. This humble power can be so surprising and unexpected that we are uncomfortable. We're not used to power exercised in that way, but therein lies its real power. Jesus' power is radical, overshadowing the forces of evil with the forces of good. Inspired by this humble authority, we are not to be deterred by forces that scream at us, have you come to destroy us? Because we know the work of healing can be painful, but it's not about any person's, anyone's destruction. It might be the destruction of harmful systems and ways of thinking, but no one is beyond the reach of Jesus' transforming power that is working for the good of all creation. Do not give up hope in the face of those who question the healing and transformation of the world. Join Jesus in this healing, transformative work. Join Richmond Hill in this transforming journey for the healing of metropolitan Richmond on earth as it is in heaven. Do not lose heart in pursuing good, brothers and sisters, as we lean into a sacred imagination inspired by Jesus that imagines a world turned right side up and proclaims that Jesus came for the healing of all. May it be so, O God. Amen.